ADD just kicked in. How many of you have ever watched a Steve Jobs keynote speech? Do you guys know who Steve Jobs is? All right, if you've never watched the Steve Jobs keynote speech, you really need to watch it. He's the, he's the head of Apple. And I just realized they made a transition exactly like he does. So now I've got to stop doing it because I don't want to be... Uh, anyways, uh, they, so we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And our series on the book of Ecclesiastes is entitled... Um, now, this is a very important phrase, and it's important because we have to understand what this book is. And in your bulletin, there's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a handout. I'm not going to go through it in detail, but it explains a little bit about some of the terms that I'm going to use. Um, one of the things that it is, is Ecclesiastes just has this amazing name that nobody really knows what it means. Um, and Ecclesiastes comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means church, um, and it, it's it's really doesn't reflect what what the book is really about. The book is actually titled in Hebrew, it's called Koheleth. And Koheleth means gatherer. It can mean one of two things. And this is one of the fascinating things about Hebrew. It either means somebody who gathers a crowd or someone who gathers information to present it to a crowd. For this reason, the the book is often called the preacher. Um, but, but the thing about Ecclesiastes is, and the difficulty of the book of Ecclesiastes is, that it is a giant, grand mistruth. If you read Ecclesiastes and try to form doctrine from it, try to interpret it and say, well, the Bible says that it must be true, you will be led into all kinds of messy doctrine. The book of Ecclesiastes is not meant to be read like we would read like the book of Romans. It says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We say the Bible says everybody has sinned. It's not meant to be read that way. It's a, it's a, a, a poem it is, uh, it's actually a collection of poems. It's a collection of human wisdom. And it takes the human wisdom to its ultimate conclusion. And every time this book does it, it's depressing. It takes every possible way of viewing human life, of trying to find meaning and value without God, and comes to the conclusion, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. It's just empty words. It's just empty thoughts. And along the way, as we study this book, which is 3,000 years old, uh, hopefully we'll pause from time to time to laugh at human thinking. That we think certain things work, and they just don't. Um, There's a a couple of, of facts I want you to kind of bury in your mind as you read this. If you take Ecclesiastes as normative, which is a, a, a theological word for you, you, it says that you do it this way, you will have a couple of issues. Number one, you will believe in a flat earth because it's taught. Ecclesiastes speaks that way. Number two, you will believe that when you die, you, you just disappear. You just dissipate. You're gone. And these two things don't fit with the rest of Scripture. Scripture talks about the sphere of the earth. And, and it talks about the fact that when you die, this thing is not over. This thing we called life is not over. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes and you just say, well, here it is, this is truth, you, you will really come up with some bizarre beliefs. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you here, and I, and I don't, if, if you're, uh, some people probably read the, the bulletin that says that Ecclesiastes is a lie. It is. It is not telling you the truth. It is telling you, reporting to you human wisdom. And later it will contrast it with God's wisdom and show how human wisdom falls short. 
So when I say it's a lie, I'm not saying that it's not inspired of God, because it is. But it is a record, an anthology of human wisdom and all of its weakness. Okay? So everybody on the same page with this, on how this works? Uh, I I don't want to cause confusion. I don't want to make it sound like I'm questioning the authority of Scripture. But if there's a certain way to read this book. It is unique in the Bible. It is unique because it is almost entirely a report of the way that people think and not the way that God wants you to think. In fact, the, the book of Ecclesiastes is one of only two books in the Bible that does not feature the name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. It does not appear there in the, in the Hebrew Bible. This book and the book of Esther, neither one of them have that reference in it. And even there are, there are passages in the book of Ecclesiastes where, where we read in English and it says God, and really it's meant in a very abstract term for any God. So this is a, this is a very difficult book to read unless you accept that it is almost always, completely, totally, not quite true. So, with that said, uh, let's look at the book of Ecclesiastes, from chapter 1 and verse 1, and we're going to open with Ecclesiastes' opening poem. Um, We're going to call it The Cycle. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1, if you're visiting with us, there's a Bible in the rack in front of you. The book of Ecclesiastes is a little over halfway through that Bible. So if you you open about halfway through, you should encounter the book of Psalms or Proverbs, Job, Psalms or Proverbs. Ecclesiastes is a little bit to the right, um, and uh, it's right after the book of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the words of the teacher or the preacher, the Koholeth, that's, that's that word, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. Now, I'm just going to pause there for a second. Verses 3 through 7, they report accurate scientific fact. As you read that, it talks about the fact that you know, we, we, you know, generations of human beings keep coming. The sun rises and the sun sets and it continues back and it rises again. The wind blows. It talks about the cycle of the winds. It talks about the water cycle. All of that is true. It, it's all fact. But watch what he says on the conclusion of that. Verse 8. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. See, here's what I'm talking about. He mingles what is true. It's observable. We wake up in the morning, the sun rises, it goes across the sky, it sets, it comes back the next morning and it rises and it goes across the sky and it sets and it's been doing it as long as I've been alive, it's been doing it as long as my father's been alive, been doing it as long as human beings have been alive. 
He says, you look at the wind and the wind cycles, and the wind comes up and the wind goes down, and it's always been and it always will be. He says, look, the water flows down the streams, it goes somewhere, it comes back, it flows down the streams. You go to the beginning of the stream and you don't see a stream, and yet there's a stream there. In every single aspect, there is a cycle of life. There's a, it's a circle of life thing. And, and those of you who've seen Bugs Life know that the, 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 it just continues, it just keeps moving. It's just, you know, I mean, this is the way it is. And he says something that's really, really interesting because he says in verse 4, generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. And you read the rest of the scriptures, you find that's not true. The earth was created. The earth will end. But in his observation, as a human being, human wisdom says, man, we live, we die, but the cycle just keeps going. So what is the ultimate human conclusion of that? Well, if you live and you die and the earth keeps going, then the world is eternal and you are just a bump in the road. You're meaningless. Your kids are meaningless. Your life is meaningless. This is why I call this the goth gospel. This is just, everything is depressing. Everything is, is just, oh, life is horrible, you know. Um, it, it, this, is, this is what we're talking about. This poem that we would call, it's, it's, we call it the cycle. Um, this is kind of an English term for this poem. The cycle basically says the world is eternal and you ain't. That's what it says. That's what it means. And, and he, he conveys this idea and he just says, look, this is, this is just the way it is. The Egyptians called it ma'at. Uh, M-A apostrophe A-T, if you, wanna, if you really want to spell it, although they didn't use English characters. Um, but they called it ma'at. And ma'at is the idea that the world is in balance. And human beings try to upset the balance, and the world asserts itself and destroys human beings. And the world continues in balance. In Babylon, in Sumeria, uh, and, and the region of Mesopotamia, um, they, they came up with this wonderful idea called the circle. You guys are all familiar with what a circle is, right? Anybody not know what a circle is? All right. Nicole, you don't count. Um, but the, the, a circle, you know, a round thing. And they said, look, the circle is a perfect representation of how everything works. Everything continually goes around. It was such a big deal to them that they, they are the ones who developed the idea of dividing a circle into degrees. Um, how many minutes are there in an hour? 60. All right, well, you believe that because the Babylonians taught you that. Now, you didn't know that, but wouldn't it make more sense and wouldn't the math be a lot easier if an hour was made up of 100 minutes instead of 60? Wouldn't that make more sense? When I worked at McDonald's, and I did, um, uh, I worked at McDonald's, we had a clock that when you you, you punched in and out, it calculated everything based on 100 rather than on 60. So if you clocked in at quarter past, it didn't say 11.15, it said 11.25. Now, you want to talk about confusing. Um, Because the clock on the front had a regular traditional 60-minute hour. So you clicked in, you're like, man, the clock's broken. It says 6.25. No, 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 it's 6.15. I'm confused. How is 15 and 25 the same number? And this, this, but that's where that comes from. The idea of the, the, uh, a circle being divided into 360 degrees, 60 minutes, that comes from, from the Babylonians, the Sumerians. They even had a math based on base 60, which is just 
fascinating the way that they calculated everything. They counted 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 20, and they would go up to 60. And the difference between 1 and 60, this is awesome. All you guys that are in calculus and math, right? Um, you know how, how many of you enjoyed algebra and calculus in school? All right, you don't listen, okay? <laughs> All, right, all of you that thought that algebra and calculus were complete gibberish and needed to be expunged from the curriculum, all right, their system of math, one was just a, like a little dash, all right, pressed into clay. 60 was the, the one pressed harder into the clay. So if you're like me and you don't really read very closely, you could be off by a factor of 60. That could make houses fall down um this but this was their this was their way of thinking everything had to do with the circle everything cycled in egypt you had three seasons you had inundation when the floods came planting harvest inundation planting harvest this is life worked that way in samaria you lived through the cycle of the floods and the recession it worked that way everything worked the same way all the time and so as a result i mean really what was your function in life You were just a worker. You were just a part of the cycle. You were just a cog in the wheel. You had no real purpose. You had no real function. That's why they believed that their kings were deities. Because anyone who could actually make a decision had to be outside of the loop. They had to be outside of the cycle. Because all of us inside the cycle were just cogs in the wheel. But there is something else in this. If you read, if you read this poem and you, you read it, it says, uh, as he's talking, he says, um, all things are wearisome more than one can say in verse 8. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. But there is, and he says this, basically he says, but there is a longing inside of us, inside of this cycle, this endless cycle, there is a longing to be eternal. There is something in us that says this cycle doesn't work. And later on in the book he says, and isn't it frustrating? Isn't it depressing that as we go through this cycle, we long to be something else? And he actually at one point goes, and God gave us just enough of the understanding of the eternal to drive us crazy. It's actually in the book. He actually says that. Even though this world is in this eternal loop, he says, but it's frustrating to us because we desire something new. We desire something better. We have a sense that there is something bigger. If you go back to ancient wisdom, and you guys are going to love this guy's name. In the book, The Epic of Gilgamesh, that's not even the best name. There is a character named Utnapishtim. I joked with my wife at one point that if we had a son, I really wanted to name him that. I'm like, can you imagine having to put somebody through school whose name was Utnapishtim? And they're like, well, you know, I mean, are you from... No, 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 I'm from New Hampshire. Strange people there. Um, But Utnapishtim is kind of the character in the Epic of Gilgamesh. He's kind of a Noah character. He he survives a flood. There's 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 a lot of similarities to it. But he decides that he desires to be eternal. And so he goes through this long journey into the world of the gods. 
and, and he finds a flower. And the flower is what grants him eternal life. And he can live for, forever. And Gilgamesh in the story goes to find the flower. He finds the flower and as soon as he finds it, a snake eats it. It's a very depressing ending to the book. Um, but uh, but Utnapishtim found this eternal flower. And because he found it, he got to live forever. He got to not step out of the cycle, but to become one with the cycle. That the eternal longing, that this longing that existed in here was really, if you read it, he says, the eye has never, never has seen enough, has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. He doesn't say that mankind wants to jump out of the circle or that mankind wants to understand the purpose of the circle. He just says mankind wants to be one with the circle. If we could just figure out why we're not eternal, then we can understand the eternal cycle. And in the end, he just gets depressed. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was, look, here's the reality of life. I, I really want to get a, I want to get like a conga and a beret and a black turtleneck and, and do the ends of this like a little beatneck poet, you know, life stinks. Because this is his, his, this is his solution. This poem, the cycle, probably comes actually from the Babylonians. It has some vocabulary in it that kind of lends to that. I'm not going to bore you with it, but, but. This, this idea, this first component that comes into Koheleth's um, anthology of ancient human wisdom is life stinks. The world is doing its thing and you just don't matter. How depressing. Extremely. So we have to ask ourselves a question. As we look at this, is this really all we have to look forward to? Being part of the system, being part of the cycle, life doesn't matter, you're not important. Jesus didn't agree. Jesus didn't agree. I want to share with you just a couple of little bits of Jesus' thoughts on this subject. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking uh, a great deal about all of the different things that go on in life. It's part of a, a message we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking uh, to a group of people uh, about the kingdom, and what matters in the kingdom. He says this, in verse 28 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon... And all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek you first his kingdom. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you well as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And in its context, Jesus is talking about, hey, have faith. God's going to take care of things. But Jesus says, he says, look, 
you're under the mistaken assumption that God thinks that you're just a cog in a wheel. I'm just going to throw, you're just going to have to continue in the cycle. He says God knows what's going on. In Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus is sending His disciples out to teach. And He says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, these birds are completely worthless. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Now, I mean, counting your hairs on their head, for some of us, it's easier for God than others. But the reality is that what is Jesus communicating? He is saying to his disciples, as they get ready to go out and do what he has told them to do, he says, look, you are not just a cog in the wheel of creation. This is not just a meaningless cycle that just continues day after day after day, week after week after week, moment after moment after moment, and it is not a ride that you just get on and just go ahead and ride it. That is the form of of, of thinking that forces us into these, these concepts that just accept it. It's just the way it is. Just go with it. It is, the, it is the thinking that says, well, all right, your life stinks. Well, everybody's life stinks, so just, just keep stinking. Just, just, just do it. And, and somehow, in some way, in America, where we have this mentality and this belief that anyone can accomplish anything, that applies in any, every other field of life, business and family and walk and money. It applies in every family, walk of life, except in our faith. In our faith, we're just cogs in the wheel. We're just, the cycle just continues and moves on and goes on and on. And on. I was a kid and my dad was a pastor. And we had these weird um, light fixtures in the top of the building. Uh, the auditorium of, of the church in New Jersey. And they had like this grill on them. And I remember after about age nine, I had pretty much heard every sermon I thought that my dad was going to preach. And I mastered the art of staring at those. With one eye closed... Because that way, the one eye had kind of that residual image of the, the, the grill in it, you know, when you stare at a light for a long time. And then I would look down, because I wasn't allowed to talk or, or color or do anything in church. Um, so I would look down and I would try to aim the grill over my dad's head. Sitting in church growing up, I learned to be able to move my ears. And if you, if you ask me to do it, I can do it. I can show you how I move my ears. I can move them separately. I can move them together. I can move them to the 1812 overture. <laughs> I, I, because I sat in church and I went, this is just an endless cycle. 
It wasn't that my dad wasn't interesting. My dad was one of the most amazing speakers I've ever heard. He was, he was awesome. I mean, he was incredible. And I mean, last year he came up and preached at Heritage. And I mean, right now, even though, he, I mean, he's, he's not old, but he's a shadow of what he was. He was just an amazing, amazing speaker. He was engaging. He was informational. He was a Renaissance man. He, he, his mind is just absolutely fascinating. I mean, this is a man who, when I was in school, would sit there and go, would you like me to calculate the location of Mercury for you? No. Why do I need to know that? He can work a slide rule. He's a smart guy. Because a slide rule to me is just a ruler with a little thing and it keeps getting in the way whenever I try to draw a line. This, and and he, he was just fascinating. He was an amazing speaker. But I just after a while, I just, it's the same cycle. Same people walk in. Same people do the same stuff. Same offering is taken. Same songs are sung. Same everything. We just keep going through the cycle. Some of your teenage children, who will not say it to your face, but some of them will, think the same way. Some of you adults think the same way. We just do the cycle. There's nothing exceptional. There's no reason to get excited. There's no reason to worry because there's nothing new under the sun. Everything will cycle around. Everything will come back. Later on when I was an adult and I was actually an assistant pastor, I reduced all sermons preached by Christian ministers to three sermons. You're not a Christian, so become one. You're not baptized, so get baptized. You're sinning, so stop. That was what it boiled down to. And I could pretty much pin any sermon. Well, and there was a fourth category I referred to. I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> you know what? Should our lives ever be characterized by that cycle? Whether it's our, our Christian walk, when we come into church and we say, well, we expect, we know what's going to happen at church. I hope that you start to get used to the idea that that's not going to happen here. We are always going to try to do different things. We don't want to be expected. We don't want to be predictable. We want to be engaged and alive and moving. Now, sometimes that means we fall flat on our faces. Need I recite the offertory at Easter? Because I'll remember that awkward moment when I was standing there while they were passing the offering plates. And, uh, the, but sometimes we're going to, but we have to move forward when we look at our lives and we walk down the road and we walk through our lives and we say, well, it's just part of the cycle. There's no way to change the cycle. We do it in our lives. Let's move it outside of religion. We're not careful. We look at poor people, people on welfare. And we say, it's just part of the cycle. They're just a lower class. There's nothing you can do about it. We look at people of different ethnicities and we say, well, they'll just never understand. They just won't, they're not going to comprehend. They're not going to fit in. We look at the world outside of our doors, outside of our church, and we say, oh man, this is, you know, they're just not going to change. How many of you know anything about Sweden? Cold. What are some other things you know about Sweden? What? Saab comes from Sweden. 
It's next to Norway. They speak Swedish. The Swedish chef comes from chicken in the pot. Sweden is one of the most promiscuous nations in the world um, because because it's so far so up north. Um, they have six months of night. Um, they have a tendency to just do all kinds of adulterous, perverted, terrible things. I mean, it's just a very, very permissive culture in Sweden. Um, so uh, I have a friend who's a missionary to Sweden, and um, he, he's coming home because the Swedish tolerate this. The Christians, quote-unquote, nominal Christianity is, is the, the religion of Sweden, tolerate this. And his statement was, and I'm not criticizing, criticizing him, but his statement was, we just can't operate in this environment. Wait, wait, wait. Wait. The spirit of the omnipotent God who resurrected Jesus from the dead cannot handle the paganism of Sweden. Well, they're just locked into their pattern. They're not going to change. They're not going to move. We look at the lives of people that are around us and we go, well, they're just in their pattern. They're in their cycle. We're, just, we're not going to mess with it because they're not going to change. Again, the omnipotent God who resurrected Jesus, who sent his spirit, not just to be, um, I have an issue in some ways, the English translation of the Greek word parakletos, which means that it's translated in many English Bibles as the comforter, but it is really the one who comes alongside and moves me forward. Not comforter in the sense that, oh, you'll be all right, it's okay. But the comforter of move, let's go, come on, we can do it. That that spirit has been defeated by the public school system, by the Democratic Party, by the Republican Party. Ralph Nader, he's the Antichrist. We won't talk about him. No, not, not really, not really. Um, that's reserved for Ross Perot. Uh, but the, the, that was a joke for the older people who actually voted in those elections. Um, the reality is, there is nothing in this world that can be that, that we look at it and we go, well, it's just a cycle, it's just the way it is. We just either, we just, we're, we're just, we're just going to go with it. We're just going to go with it. If there is one thing that Koheleth, it's probably King Solomon from the Bible, but the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, if there is one thing that he communicates in this moment, it is, this is what human wisdom says. Just go with the flow. And Jesus says, this is what God's wisdom says. The flow does not dictate God. The flow does not dictate who God is. The flow creates empty religion, creates empty motions, creates bored people, creates separation, and it creates division. Just going with the flow, saying it's unchangeable, it's immutable, we can't alter it, God can't mess with it, there is no way it accepts 
defeat. And I don't know about you, but when I read Jesus, I read a guy who is just not willing to lose. He is just not willing to let the cycle beat him. You know what he said to his disciples? He said, look, I'm with you always. All power in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go. Live. Change the world. Break the cycle. Alter the pattern. And let people see that a resurrected Lord walks among you. So when we look at human wisdom, and anytime somebody says, well, just go with the cycle, you know what our answer should be? Blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Lord, we are confronted with human wisdom. We are confronted with a belief and a mindset that says, just go with the flow. And God, you have brought together people to be your kingdom that stands in juxtaposition with the kingdoms of this world that opposes the prince of the power of the air, that opposes human power and wisdom that says that you are not in control. Father, we ask that we would break the cycle. I don't know the, walk, the, 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 the details of the lives of, of many of the people here. I couldn't know. I don't need to know. But I know that if the cycle of depression is set in, although there's a lot that needs to be done and there's a lot of counseling involved, it really begins, healing begins with the the belief that this cycle is not all there is. And God, in our faith and in our walk, You did not call us to walk in circles, but to walk forward. Not to walk with our eyes closed, but to walk in your light. Father, you are doing something awesome and amazing and wonderful in this church. And and I am continually and perpetually amazed by what you're doing. God, you are breaking cycles, breaking rhythms, and and throwing us curveballs, and making us live and adapt and become something more than just what human wisdom can dictate or form. Father, as we journey through this book, as we journey through this, this just accumulation of depression in the book of Ecclesiastes, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and that we would seek out the wisdom of your Son, Jesus Christ, and not human wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name.